Welcome, everyone, to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 177, and we're reviewing Tokyo Revengers Tenjiku Arc, which I think, I guess, maybe is season three. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode. Quick note on that. I don't actually know. It's it's really, really confusing because the Christmas showdown was obviously season two. We got a new OP, all that fun stuff. But then the Tenjiku arc came out and we're still using the same OP just in a different version. So to me, that signals like this is part two of the same season, but it feels like a season three. Yeah, this arc sits in a weird spot. Uh, I'm looking at Wikipedia, which denotes this arc as season three. But if I remember correctly, the first or season, quote unquote, season two, which was the Christmas showdown arc, happened in winter of 2023. And then this arc came out beginning of fall or not um, October of 2023 in the midst of the fall season. So. Yeah, this just feels like a second core, but there's a finality to this arc that makes it feel like its own season. Yeah, I'm just going to, we'll go with season three for now until we get clarification down the road, like official clarification. And if if we fucked up and it's not a season three, then you'll probably see the title of this episode change to like season two, part two or something. But for now, we're rolling with season three. So let's... um. We're going to dive into it, of course, but we do want to acknowledge a a fun email that we got related to Tokyo Revengers. Yes. So this is a special shout out to our listener, Lexi, who had emailed us very positive feedback about our season two review way back in the day. (laughs) Um, I think the most interesting part of this email is that Lexi mentions season three despite the lack of social hype and coverage, will be the best arc of this series. And I think we can pretty much confirm that. But thank you, Lexi, for your email. It was just great to read and and great to see someone so passionate about the Tokyo Revengers series. So hopefully you got a kick out of watching this season or this arc as well. Yeah, I want to echo that. Thank you so, so much, Lexi, for for the note. We really appreciate it. And honestly, reading it um, got us really hyped for this season, season three. And you were right. Um, I think we can, we'll can we transition right into our initial thoughts on the season because I agree. I think that season three was a roller coaster of a season. Um, I actually went into this season a little bit apprehensive because of the lack of, you know, discourse that we've we've you know been missing out on or not seeing with season two and now with season three and I'm thinking maybe it's just maybe it's not as good I've seen tweets I think we talked about it before that like Tokyo Avengers the manga fell off or whatever so I didn't know what to expect so again I was apprehensive thinking like okay like maybe I'll enjoy it but it's probably not going to be as good as season one I actually think that season three is at least on par with season one if not maybe slightly more exciting um I just I, I was really, really impressed by it and uh, blew through it towards the end because of all of the shit that was going down. Yeah, I pretty much echo the same sentiment. It's just really odd that season two and now this season three of Tokyo Revengers flew under the radar because I actually enjoyed 
both of these seasons more than the first season. And it's just amazing to see what an intense street gang drama this little show has become, almost like the anime version of The Outsiders. Night 2 found myself, once they enter the Kanto incident, like really wanting to know what would happen in the next episode. So this is one of the rare occasions where I, too, binged episodes back to back. I think that the season does suffer from some of the classic issues with Tokyo Revengers. First and foremost, I, I've said it before, I'll say it again. They're asking me to do what feels like the impossible with the level of suspension of my disbelief that I have to go through to feel convinced or not feel ripped out of the like this immersion when it comes to these these children um having these these gangs and like fucking shit up and fucking each other up and i mean for god's sake kisaki's got a gun at the end of the season i'm like where the fuck did this kid get a gun take the kid's gun away what is happening <laughs> and then you have it's one crazy. one character who sounds like jotaro <laughs> i know oh my god and like they show them in juvie and stuff and i'm like just just age them up. Just age them up to where, like, maybe they're they're starting off in high school and they leave high school and the gang shit continues. Like, I still just don't understand why the creator decided to make them junior high and some high school students. It just seems so ridiculous to me. Um, and again, like, that's been my struggle with with Tokyo Avengers from day one. Does it? Does it like? prevent me from enjoying the show absolutely not but there's just some moments where i i like watch these things happen on screen and i cannot stop thinking like yeah that's cool and all but this this shit would never happen with junior high kids well at the very least these aren't the live action renditions of the story because those really force you to suspend your disbelief with seeing how old the actors are those were hot garbage <laughs> and i was so drunk through them that i fell asleep <laughs> well yeah it was just the the one movie the first one that we watched there's okay actually, see i was too drunk to even remember like, how there, we got there's, it. <laughs> there's a sequel movie that i think is supposed to be based on bloody halloween oh uh, okay that's coming out soon but i don't know if we'll, <laughs> we'll want to watch those again uh yeah yeah it's just crazy that these are all like grade school, high school fellows just beating each other up and getting into really dramatic storylines. But I guess ignoring all of that, it, it's still so engrossing and engaging to to watch this story unfold and especially see Takamichi struggling through this one because he is literally backed up against the corner now. Like he has no out with the connection to the future Naoto no longer being there. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I, I'm very much appreciating about the Tokyo Avengers story that I didn't see coming were all of these seemingly minor details coming together in the end of the story or towards the end of the story. So one of the examples is Shinichiro. I just figured they needed to give mikey a sob story back backstory um you know when it comes to his brother like my, my brother got killed um or whatever but then we find out later that there's more to that story right that it actually has a, a larger meaning and that's with kazutora because he's the one that killed shinichiro um and then that created a conflict between him and mikey 
But then we learn that it's actually even bigger than that because Shinichiro is like a key player in um, a lot of what's happening because his ties to Izana and the relationship that he cultivated and the fact that Shinichiro died then triggered a lot of like trauma for Izana. So I love that it constantly builds and builds and builds on what's going on. Same thing with like Hina. Right. There's a lot like she just seems like the girlfriend. Right. Like he, it's the love interest. He wants uh, uh, Takemichi wants to save her. But as time goes on, we get these little breadcrumbs about like why she keeps dying and how she factors into this. And we come to find out by the end of the season, which we'll talk more about. She's actually a major um, I wouldn't say like major player, but a major motivation for why the story is even happening the way that it is. So props to the creator um, for making small plot points grow and build throughout the story to the point where everything just connects so well yeah it's ken wakui who knows if he could be like the the next <laughs> maybe this is a stretch the next hajime isayama with how much he's built up this world and yeah it's just so strange because it's it's a story about these street hoodlums but then it becomes so much more dramatic especially with all of these pieces coming together in the Tenjuku arc. And I know I said this earlier, it just feels like the season has so much finality to it that it makes you think Takemichi is so close to reaching the end of his journey to finally save Hina from her future demise. But then the story continues. Yeah, it's a a weird flex. I, the the cliffhangers that Tokyo Avengers has has left us with with certain seasons, phenomenal. Like season one, we're left with Chifuyu getting shot in the face, <laughs> yeah. like he gets killed by Kisaki, and then Kisaki's about to kill Takemichi, and then that's it. We have to wait until the next season, and then we get that resolution. And truthfully, I don't remember what if there was a cliffhanger at the end of season two. It was uh, right, also right when this season picks up. Um, Kisaki addresses Takemichi and oh, says right. like, the Kanto incident is about to begin. Okay, that one's like less exciting. But um, it, there's an implication there about like how much Kisaki knows. Right. Yeah, and then um, this season, another like amazing cliffhanger because Kisaki gets hit by a truck. Like we're gonna talk about Truckoon for sure. Um, and then we're left with this like uneasy feeling because you think the threat should be gone, but Takemichi feels that something is still looming. And I'm like, oh God, now what, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how to feel about it. We'll, we'll probably talk about this later, but get it just everything in this season makes you think like we're about to reach the end when it's not the case. And so I feel like season four, or if they want to call it season three, It's going to have a lot of high expectations with just how, quote-unquote, perfect this season played out for Takemichi's story. Before we get into the nitty-gritty, of course, we have to talk about the OP and ED for this season. Thankfully, the OP remains the same, which is White Noise by Official Higedandism. It just uses part of the second verse of the song as well as the second chorus and it's a fantastic song i think of the two ops we've seen so far in tokyo revengers this one has to be my favorite visuals wise it's a standard 
Tokyo Avengers opening, I guess, just showing your usual cast of characters, the the gang members on each side, the new gang antagonists. But man, this heavily spoils everything that happens in this season. It's kind of like the OP from the first season. That that spoiled a lot too. But yeah, I mean, I'm glad that they kept White Noise fucking love Higuron, love the song and the visuals. It's basically just the showdown that happens. Um, like 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 one for one it seems like because you're right it just it just straight up tells you everything so yeah i know no major complaints um about the op i'm just glad that they they kept the song more anime should do that i think the one downside and this happened with previous seasons is you can tell there are some censorship efforts when it comes to the manji symbol um that's apparent in the op where you see these streaks of light that are covering things like the manji symbol on Mikey's bike. And we've talked about this before, how, you know, like the manji symbol means something different in Japanese or I guess Buddhist culture, but there's obviously a connotation there. So I guess I understand why this was done, but I I just think it like why censor art without understanding the context of it? Yeah, it, it's almost like you're you're saying that it's wrong when I am sure a lot of people who practice the Buddhist religion would tell you, no, it, it means something very positive. It means something very, uh, you know, it's it's something that that's important to us in our religion. Um, so I, I've, you know, I've got my own thoughts on it, but, I'm, you know, we're not the ones making that decision. I just hope that the decision makers have really considered all sides of it and considered um, kind of what the, the message they're sending to all viewers. And then we have the ED, which is Say My Name by Haysmith. This one, it feels like an angsty punk rock music video with the whitewashed backgrounds, film reels, gang member shots. Feels pretty much like a rehash of the visuals that we saw in the opening uh like seeing key plot lines from this arc where Takemichi raises his fist in victory, Kurokawa or Izana versus Mikey, Kisaki versus Takemichi. So yeah, more of the same visuals wise here. Normally I wouldn't vibe with a song like this, but this is a fantastic choice for the op- or for sorry, for the ED. I think it closes out every episode so well it matches the vibe of like what's going on with this insane arc and all the deaths and everything it just keeps that that hype feeling going um and it's not like the the song has um it's a it's not like erratic but it has this certain like intensity that it, it it evokes especially with that very first opening part like as soon as the the ed starts like it, it the the singer is like hitting those high notes or whatever it just i don't know like it, it just fits really well and i wouldn't expect that type of song um to be a good match for tokyo avengers but it's kind of like um the fear and loathing in las vegas um ed for hunter hunter the first cd mm-hmm. you wouldn't expect it to work but it kind of it like fucking works i don't know it's hard for me to describe um but it just feels right you know that you mention it the singer for this band haysmith kind of sounds like the singer for fear and loathing yeah yeah this song it's actually in full english and 
it just screams that like 2000s punk rock feel or something along the lines of a band like the offspring yeah it's kind of sorry i'm gonna jump in it's kind of like that angsty feeling which is exactly what all of these these kids are going through they're all being really angsty and beating the shit out of each other yeah i forget like what year like what decade this all happens i'm pretty sure it's like the the 2000s so kind of fits within that era where takemichi is currently meddling uh lyrics wise I think you can argue that it's from the song is from two different points of view. Um, the first being from Mikey's or Hina's point of view, and talking about Takamichi, is it, it kind of refers to his crybaby hero status. Like the opening lines say, "Say my name. I know you're my savior. Take my hand and show me the future. Say my name. Fight with you forever. Hand in hand, you are my hero, and you cry." <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and then the second half of this song also feels like it's from takemichi's perspective where it's has things like i will stand for you no matter what i will never change in war for the future for my friends and for myself so again in reinforcing those themes of sacrifice of courage of fighting for the ones that you love all right, Strictly fam, we can't waste any more time, so let's go ahead and dive into our synopsis and discussion for Tokyo Revengers Tenjiku Arc, the 2023 anime adaptation of a manga series written and illustrated by Ken Wakui. Produced by Leiden Films and directed by Koichi Hatsumi, the Tenjiku Arc sees time-traveling Tokyo Manji Division Captain Takemichi as he navigates a perilous showdown between Toman and rising street gang Tenjiku in a bid to stop Kisaki's future devastation once and for all. In episode 1, The Longest Day, Yokohama is becoming Lokohama as Takemichi and co. are saved from Tenjiku turmoil by Toman's muses of comedy and tragedy. With Chief Huyu tagging along, the group locate Tenjiku's hideout where Takemichi runs into childhood friend Kakchoke, who warns Toman to scramble because they've got an Eggs Benedict Arnold. Oh boy, so this first episode, animation looks solid um, this time around, although it does waver throughout the season, and I know animation's been kind of like a... a an uncertain thing with Tokyo Revengers. Um, but damn, they packed a lot of stuff into this first episode. I'm like, the longest day, this feels more like the longest episode. And it's that classic Tokyo Revengers situation of introducing a shitload of new characters for us to just feel overwhelmed and confused by. Um, granted, that does kind of filter out a little bit by the end of the season. But like, oh my God, it always gives me like, anxiety i'm okay i gotta remember all these characters and figure out what why they are here and what important role that they play if they even have any of those um to look forward to so yeah that's that's always a tough one for me yeah last season we only had like taiju hakai and yuzuha i think their their sister it was awesome yeah a manageable (laughs) amount of new characters yeah now you you've got Kurosawa, you've got Mochi, you've got the Haitani brothers, get all these people, all these like antagonists who later on, like a bunch of them just get decked really quickly. 
Yeah, I don't like it. Just it's like so many characters that you don't need, and then we got like a bunch of backstory which we'll talk about. But I'm like, I guess, I guess we can have them, but we don't need them. It's kind of like what we experienced in the first season. There were just so many characters that got introduced, and then like halfway through, more characters got introduced. And I'm like, I get these gangs are big, but I don't need to know about every single character. Um, so yeah, it's just it's a lot sometimes, but. On the positive side, the cliffhanger was really interesting for episode one. The warning about a traitor, you know, the thought that Kisaki might be a time traveler. So it was setting us up for something really, really fascinating for this season. Yeah. And I think that still remains a lingering question of whether or not Kisaki can travel through time. Uh, Takemichi brings up a good point in this episode about he's how he's like, constantly been failing in every instance so it makes you think if kisaki has kind of been changing the future before takemichi can um i think that's still an open question after the end of the season so it remains to be seen if it will be addressed in whatever the next arc or whatever the, the next season will be called in episode two mortal enemy upon hearing about lokohama Kappa Mikey declares war on Tenjiku before Takemichi returns to the present. He and Naoto learn from the unlikeliest of sources, Taiju the Kaiju, about Mikey's big brother Shinchan, his founding of the Black Dragons, and Kisaki cheating death, when they themselves are ambushed by the four-eyed fuckboy and a blue-eyes white gangster, who turn them into victims of gun violence. Realizing that they're in the endgame now, Naoto sends Takemichi back to the days of the future past before he himself is sent to the shadow realm. Um, I love how Chifuyu is being big brained in this episode because Takemichi's sitting there like, I don't know what to do because we don't know what's going to happen. He's like, bro, just go to the future and find out everything that happens so we can prevent it. I'm like, oh, of course. It's that meme of Drake and whoever the, whatever the fuck the other guy's name is. Um, oh, I forgot. The... It's so good. <laughs> Where they're like, they're like dressed as like Apple employees or whatever. Lil Yachty. Yeah, Lil Yachty. <laughs> um, and then like Drake is like t- trying to explain something to Lil Yachty about the, the computer. And then he is like, oh, oh, of course. Oh, my God. And it's just such a fucking funny meme. I use that all the time. <laughs> That's exactly what's happening here with Chifuyu and Takemichi. But yeah, thank God Chifuyu, you know, thought of that because apparently Takemichi isn't big-brained enough even though he's the one that's time-traveling all of the time. Kind of weird, though, that the future Taiju or Shiba Taiju just agrees to tell him and Naoto everything he knows about Black Dragon and about Kurokawa. Yeah, very convenient. Um, I don't know. I think he kind of explained his thought process there, but I don't know. Yeah, it was just like overly convenient. Uh, but I was like, what the fuck happened to Hawkeye? When did he die in the future? When did he die at all? I don't know. Well, it's, Taiju says here that he he, he holds off, uh, who's it, Inupi and Koko, so, and says to Takemichi and Naoto as they're running out, like, to avenge Hawkeye's death. Yeah. So, I, again, I, I, in this timeline, it might be different like where taiju wasn't the one because again the christmas showdown was so long ago i don't remember the exact details but like taiju wasn't the one involved in like killing hakai or their their sister it's just weird because i feel like 
Taiju says that to, to Takemichi, and he doesn't even bat an eye. He's like, okay. Like, he just told you Hawkeye dies at some point, and you have, like, no real reaction to it. So I don't know if that's intentional. Like, they're just kind of glossing over that, and then that'll come up as, like, a plot point in the next season. Well, but... didn't Mikey kill off all of, like, the top members oh, of Toman? was it then? Yeah. Maybe, yeah, okay. So that's why Takamichi isn't, like, two-faced, because I guess he knows what's supposed to happen in this timeline maybe okay i will have to go back and like jog our memory on that but i was very confused by that um but then the ending of episode two was wild because naoto and takemichi both get shot by kakucho and i'm like okay i clearly takemichi will not be able to go back to the present until he's sure that things have changed for the better and we were talking about this when we watched the episode and my understanding is like Naoto is shot and killed and I'm going to assume Takemichi dies because that's what they're alluding to. Although, you know, we never know for sure unless we see it on screen. Um, and so he's not able to tra- to go back to the future. But I was thinking like he could technically go back to the future. He would just need to touch or shake hands with young Naoto, but he couldn't co- he wouldn't be able to go back to the past because future Naoto would be dead. But then I'm thinking if he can't do that at all, which is confirmed in like the next episode maybe, um, because he, he touches Naoto's hand and nothing happens, that tells me that Takemichi actually did die in the future because he doesn't have a body to go back to. Does that make sense? Like where would his conscious go? Right. So then Takemichi yeah. needs to change <laughs> the past so in that order he... To... Yeah, he never dies in the first place. Yeah, I guess he... and. Naoto as well. Well, yeah, ideally Naoto, but at the very minimum, yeah. he needs to make sure his body is still alive and well, so he has a right. conscious to go back to, or he can, he has a body for his mind to go back to. Yeah, although you know when Kakuto shoots both of them, I was thinking like you should probably ensure that they're both dead before they each have the opportunity to shake each other's hand. Uh, yeah. You know, like it's it's played up to dramatic effect, right? Because this is Takamichi's last chance to to change the past. Unless Kakucho intentionally didn't uh, want to right. kill Takamichi, but shot him just for the optics of it, so that Kisaki wouldn't question anything. Yeah, and if you also notice in that scene, like I think you briefly see Kisaki turn his head back to see them exchange the handshake yeah so that's another strong implication that he knows about takemichi's time traveling abilities or that he might have some of his own in episode three run out of patience takemichi realizes that this is really his last game save with naoto eternally down for the count and so he can't fuck this up but does so anyways when he inadvertently tells love hina about his time traveling ability Somehow this still gives him a boner, so he decides to visit Kappa Mikey and learns about how Blue-Eyes White Gangster is actually his half-brother. But before he can investigate further, fellow Toman member Mucho Lucho kidnaps him for being the suspected ex-Benedict Arnold that is cracking Tokyo Manji's shell. At first I was like, Takamichi's dumb as fuck, saying all that stuff out loud. Um, and it was pretty obvious that it was Hina. <laughs> like, I know they kept showing just her feet, but I'm like, that's Hina, come on. I already know where this is going. Um, 
But even still, if you were to say that to Naoto, the Naoto would be like, yo, what? I die? <laughs> I'm going to die? I'm going to get shot to death? That's going to be mind-blowing for him to hear. But we we come to learn later that um, it's actually a good thing that Hina learns about it because then she's able to make some smart moves um, and get some people motivated. It's just so strange. I know like we saw this with Chifuyu who took Takamichi's word, but seeing all these other characters like with Hina and later on Draken and Mikey just taking Takamichi's word about being from the future at almost like face value. But I think it's pretty genuine in Takamichi's actions. Like what he is doing seems to have this sort of influence from clairvoyance of what happens later on. We also get um, the basically the establishment of what's what the, what the main plot line is for season three. It's Izana um, being Mikey's half brother um, and being jealous of Mikey for having a family and being so close to Shinichiro and kind of feeling like a threat to Izana. Um, although we learn later that that's not exactly like the the literal case because they're not related. But at this point in the story, this is establishing what we're working with and why all these things are happening. But I do have a question, a very important question that maybe I overlooked, but I don't think I did. When Takemichi is at his house and then, um, uh, what the fuck is his name? Mucho's gang rocks up, right? Rocks up? Rocks up. Rocks up, up to, I mean, yeah, rolls up, rocks up to his place, right? <laughs> I've never heard of that. Okay. What? Rocks up? Yeah. I've heard rolls up. Rocks up. Wait, have you not listened to like all of the Trash Taste episodes? Oh, n- no. I mean. Connor says rocks up all the time. That's oh, why it's like stuck in my brain now. Maybe it's like a British thing. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he shows up to Takemichi's house um, and he's in the car, right? Mm-hmm. Who the fuck is driving the car? They're is, in like junior high, maybe high school. Who is, is driving the car? Is it not his, uh, I'll say accomplice, the Sanzo, the one who's wearing the mask? I mean, maybe, but isn't he also in junior high or high school? Well, they're delinquents. They also drive motorbikes, ride motorbikes. So you'd figure some That's of them true. just know how to drive a car it just seems weird like a (laughs) motorbike okay i guess i get that but like a car just seems very odd and i'm like they don't show the driver so i'm like who the fuck is in the driver's seat yeah i assume it's i think yeah his name is sanzo i don't know who the fuck that guy is he doesn't talk the whole time so i'm sure they're just saving him for like something later on but yeah more characters that right now don't seem very important I just like that Mucho is voiced by Daisuke Ono, also known as the voice of Jotaro from JoJo, because you don't really hear him much in previous seasons, but Mucho kind of gets top billing in this season. In episode four, Come Back to Life, at the expense of one more yoke about eggs, Mucho Lucho unscrambles the truth about him being the real eggs Benedict Arnold of Toman and is in cahoots with Blue Eyes White Gangster because they were in the same Pokemon Vicious generation. He forces another kidnappy, Coco Loco, to join Tenjiku for his Fortune 500 experience lest he sell Takemichi and Inupi Poopy, the third kidnappy, on the eternally black market. <laughs> Inupi Poopy. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's how I remember names. Have you used that one before? No. I think I had something different for Inupi before. See, this is me. I I don't care how dumb it is. I, I think the funniest thing in the world is toilet humor. All you have to do is make a poop joke and then you've got me. Oh, you know what? I called him Inui Gooey before. Okay, I, but, I like Inupi poop yeah. better. <laughs> All right. Continuing on, Inupi has a therapy session with Takemichi about wanting to be as cool as Shinchan before declaring that Takemichi is Shinchan's second coming and crowns him as the biggest blackest dragon. So Jotaro <laughs> Mucho was the traitor all along. <laughs> I um, can't believe it. Oh my Why god. Why would you do that, Jotaro? <laughs> and then Takemichi recruits Inupi Pupi and Koko. <laughs> so his roster keeps growing, his army keeps growing. Um but Wait, Takemichi recruits Koko? Well, he tries to, right? Oh, He's about yeah. to, but then Coco makes that decision in the moment to like that self-sacrifice play to join Tenjigu so that mm-hmm. Inupi and Takimichi don't have to get the shit beat out of them anymore. Interesting parallel with the S62 generation or what they call the vicious generation compared to like the founding members of Toman. And also just different in their ideals, as we'll later see uh, Mucho and Kurokawa's S62 generation were a bunch of like brutal assholes, while Mikey and his gang, they just wanted to be free-spirited and have fun as hoodlums. One thing from this episode is I'm pretty sure in previous reviews, I, I wondered if Takamichi would have to step up as the leader of Toman, and that's what would kind of solve all of these problems and would ultimately save Hina. I, I, I guess with Inupi wanting Takemichi to be the next leader of Black Dragon is the alternative to this, but then I realize there's so much more of the story left to be told after the end of this arc, so who really knows? But I, I would say like, I'm pretty sure in the Christmas showdown, Takemichi himself mentioned like that he would become the leader of Black Dragon when he faced against Taiju. Do you remember that? He's going to be the leader of Black Dragon. He's going to be the leader of Toma. Now he's going to be the leader of, of Tenjiku. He's just going to rule it all. <laughs> so, yeah, this is another thing that I'll have to keep note of. If I'm also pretty sure Takemichi mentioned like he would need to become the leader of Toman in order to save Hina. But whether or not that comes into conflict with you know Mikey leading Toman remains to be seen. In episode 5, A Bad Hunch, we get way too much backstory on Kappa Mikey's sister Emma, which is always a good sign. After Toman's top dog sets a date for Lokohama Part 222, Takemichi accompanies the siblings to pay their respects at Shinchan's grave. Better get another burial plot ready while they're at it, because Emma is about to kisaki some major death dick. So once again, I have to suspend my disbelief, because apparently these kids are committing murder and planning world domination. (laughs) It's 
wild. Like, didn't I, you have lofty dreams when you were younger? I guess so. <laughs> but this is like crazy. I get what they're trying to show us by the end of the season is that Kisaki is a very brilliant individual. He's not physically capable. Uh, he can't hold his own in a fight, but he is incredibly intelligent, which is why all of these things are happening. But I'm just like, oh my God, he's like in junior high <laughs> or something like that. How old is Kisaki? Can we look that up really quick? Yeah, I was actually, I was going to look up the ages of these characters. I just want to know like specifically Kisaki. How old is this brilliant motherfucker? 13 years old in the past. Oh my what? Lord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 13 year old who already has corrupted his moral code. Even Lelouch couldn't do world domination until he was a bit older. Because I think Lelouch is not 13 in Code Geass. How old is Lelouch in Code <laughs> How old <laughs> is Lelouch in Code Geass? Um, he is 17 years old, okay? So there you go. I don't know what's going on in Kisaki's brain, but apparently this kid is a genius little brat. And then Takemichi is 14, Dragon 15, Mikey 15. Yeah. <laughs> this, oh is so, this is so strange, but whatever. It's anime. What do you expect? Again, I just, I, I say this all the time when I bring this up. Like, I don't see why they have to be in junior high. There's nothing that's like, committing the story to them being in junior high just age them up like i this would still work if they were older but you know whatever here we are um so yeah another brawl is coming and then um apparently all of mikey's siblings die by getting clocked in the head because oh, shinichiro yeah. got clocked in the head emma got clocked in the head <laughs> but kurokawa didn't he just got shot. Oh, he's on it? Yeah. Well, he's not technically a sibling, as we'll learn. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, so, I don't know, maybe Mikey will also die in the correct timeline or the fixed timeline by getting clocked in the head. Who knows? But Emma's death was the catalyst for it all. That explains why in the future, Draken's in jail and, like, all this stuff. Um, it just it, it kind of closes some of those open plot lines. But I have to admit... The death, like, was actually pretty sad. Like, her getting clocked in the head was like, oh, holy shit. But her slowly dying and then Mikey trying to deny that reality um, by, like, talking to her and saying, no, you're going to be fine. Draken loves you, too. Why is her body so cold? Like, that was brutal to watch. That, w that actually got me a little bit. Yeah, it's kind of like Hina's case where Emma is a symbol of, like, pure innocence on this show and obviously she was one of mikey's anchors to kind of keep him rooted and keep him true to himself so i i think yeah as heart-wrenching as this scene is supposed to be for us i think it it gives more context into why mikey ends up drowning in an in an indescribable emptiness <laughs> when we see him in the Philippines in the future in the previous season but yeah this was a this was a hard death to watch and especially like seeing his sad dreams about all of them growing up and you know Dragon and Emma building a home and a family together almost in the style of like Demon Slayer light spoilers there like it, this scene was just the, this scene was just fucked. <laughs>
I did like the earlier line from this episode when we see the flashbacks, which, as we've said many times, once you see a flashback of a character, you know their time is ticking. Definitely a death flag. Yeah. But, you know, when they, is it Mikey and Baji make fun of Emma's foreigner status and say, this is a pen. I have a unko, <laughs> which unko means poop. Yes. Right? Wow, another poop joke. We but now we find out there. why he's Mikey. Right. Oh, yeah. I love that, too. Like, obviously, his Japanese name is Manjiro, but he always refers to himself as Mikey. I like that revelation. And that, that small context of world building that almost comes full circle. In episode six, Rise Against... Kappa Mikey and Doraken are inconsolable over Emma's death by Louisville Slugger, so Takamichi takes it upon himself to be Toman's de facto leader for Lokohama Part 222. Toman in turn says, fuck that noise, until their top dogs remind everyone that Takemichi eats a bowl of nails for breakfast without any milk. And so the hoodlums head in harmony to the harbor where a herd of hooligans and hell-colored hides hold their heads high in haste. I don't know why I thought of this just now, but I feel like Tokyo Revengers rivals JoJo's Bizarre Adventure with the sheer number of punches that get thrown every single episode. Like there should be like an, an a counter that goes on throughout the series that counts the number of punches and like compares that to other anime where there's a lot of punches. And I feel like Tokyo Revengers would be up there because every chance there is for someone to punch someone else, they get punched. Like here we have Draken. Who's punching Mikey? And like, don't get me wrong. I don't blame Draken for not knowing how to direct his feelings. He just lost the person he loves before I'm sure they were even able to like have a, a true relationship. So he's probably just like so distraught and just needs a, a place to direct that anger and, and to blame him. But I'm also like, damn, dude, like Draken, you're not the only one who lost somebody today. <laughs> Mikey's also hurting. Yeah, that's his blood relation. <laughs> and he could have been retaliating against you, but again, he's just drowning in that indescribable emptiness. And it's so out of character, of course, seeing Mikey like this, but I think it's Hina who ends up changing fate for the better here um, with the context of knowing Takemichi's purpose in being a time traveler here. In episode seven, Turn the Tide, Blue-Eyes White Gangster opens up the festivities with a sacrificial offering of Tokyo's top hoodlums. Peyon draws first blood with a punch heard round the pier, and Toman and Tenjiku are off to the raucous races. With anime one-upsmanship thrown this way and that, we turn to Coco Loco trying to recruit Inupi Poopy to the dark side, when the latter reminds the former that identity theft is not a joke, Jim. Millions of families suffer every year. So, mind you... These are notes from when I watched episode seven and no further. And what I wrote is, I still don't get Kisaki's motivation. For Izana, it's a grudge. But what about Kisaki? I'm still betting he loves Hina and is pissed about Takemichi. So he's mm. like, if I can't mm. have her, no one can. I have been saying this since like the second they gave us that little breadcrumb backstory that Hina knew Kisaki when they were younger. I'm like, I bet. I, I bet that... It's a it's a love situation and that he's getting rejected and that's why he's pissed about it. 
we'll we'll talk about the reveal. We'll talk about it when we get there. But as of episode seven, that's what I was writing. I'm like, I'm still holding true to my theory that it's because he loves Hina and he's pissed that he that he can't have her. Are you the future Courtney that's come back? I have to the time past? traveled by shaking hands with Rigby, and then I I jumped to the past so that I could be right. <laughs> Also interesting about Kisaki, while we're talking about him, is that he's perched atop a stack of shipping containers as he's overseeing this fight. And it's kind of similar imagery to Kazutora during Bloody Halloween. And Batman. What? <laughs> Doesn't Batman? Batman perch on like, he like fights people in, sh- in shipping yards and perches oh, on I, things? I guess, yeah, but he's more discreet <laughs> about it. Kazutora and Kisaki, more especially are there just to kind of, or he's there to prove his power grip over everything. Yeah, it's his, um, it's his, he's asserting dominance by being literally the highest up Plus he can't, <laughs> like he can't punch for shit. Yeah. Right, because he'll find out later. In episode eight, I know in my head, we are treated to a flashback where we learn that Coco Loco spells love for Inupi Poopy's late sister as M-O-N-E-Y. Mucho Lucho decides to tag team in against Anupi. So before we are privy to that slaughter fest, we turn to Hawkeye and Angry Bird, who face off against the Hentai Brothers to prove that little brothers really can be the biggest pain. This, <laughs> I have this questions. first scene, yeah, I have so many questions. So yeah, it's it's Coco and, and, and Anupi's backstory. Um, which I don't think I get like a lot of these backstories. Like we really don't need. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I don't need this. I don't know how like this one in particular co- contributes to the larger plot line. Um, but we do see Coco kiss Inupi. Why? Yeah, I thought at first like he was in love with him. That's like the vibes I was getting because they kind of seem like very close, mm-hmm. like very like intimately close. Not like like sexually or anything, but like they just seem like much closer than any other friendship on the show. Yeah, but I think it, here it's because he wanted to see if it was similar to like how he kissed his older sister, Inupi's older sister, Akane. Yes, because they look very similar. And then like right after he kisses him, he starts crying, saying like Akane's name or whatever. So yeah, I think it was just like trying to fill a void because right before this, Inupi was like, I'm not Akane, I'm Seishu. And when he when he said that at the previous the end of the previous episode, I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. I thought they were like these deities that he was referring to. I know. I was like, what are you talking about? Um, but then also, why was Inupi wearing heels? Has yeah, he, has he done that before? He has. I thought so. Because okay. I think we brought this up in the season two review. So the understanding here is that Inupi does this because Akane, I believe, wore high heels. And he aspired to be like his sister in terms of like her sort of compassionate personality. And I think him embodying that by wearing heels would kind of make him feel like he was, I guess, almost like he was in her shoes. Okay, I Although guess. literally, I guess here. I guess that last part helped me understand it because before you said that, I was like, he could just embody her morals and her values versus like wearing high heels or like wearing a certain piece of clothing but i guess that kind of like physic that physical and mental commitment 
I guess that makes you sense. You know what? I take that back. Uh-oh. Because okay, this is... I don't know if this is spoilers, but looking at the Tokyo Revengers wiki... Wait, is it spoilers? Uh, It just says about... It talks about Inupi's relationship with Shin. Shinichiro. Shin? Shinichiro. Uh, I mean, we got a little bit of that in the season. It's more of looking up to Shinichiro and wanting to be like him. He started wearing high heels. I don't get it. Like physically be like the same height? I guess so. Okay, maybe we'll maybe we'll find out more later, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe we forgot. Maybe they told us and we forgot, but yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with him wearing heels. I just figure like they make it obvious when this flashback happens because they show the heels first before they even show his face. So I'm like, if we're making a very, um, if we're showing it very obviously, I feel like they're, they're trying to send a message or like try to, you know, make you interested in why this is happening. So I am interested. I'm like, why is he wearing the heels? What drives that choice? Um, but yeah, so there's this whole like backstory thing is like very, very interesting opening to it. And then it like, it turns into this very sad story as all of these backstories are, that's why they're all delinquents, right? Like they've they've gone through shit, they've seen shit. Um, so yeah, we just learned that Coco is having a hard time in coming to terms with the fact that the person he loves is gone and has been gone for many years. Sorry, I, I kind of went into a rabbit hole of like like these high heels. I'm still stuck on these high heels because I'm reading that it was part of like the manga because. Uh, Ken Wakui's real life experience with biker gangs in Japan back in the day. Apparently, this might have been something that like they they wore heels as part of the culture, but I oh. can't confirm that. Again, I'm just reading this off of Reddit. Um, but yeah, all that aside, you know, I, someone will have to provide more con- context for why Inupi exactly wears high heels and all that stuff about the Boso Zoku. I think is what they're called. Like the, I'm assuming that's the biker gangs, but yeah, Coco's fascination with money is all explained with um, Akane's death. And it's kind of sad just seeing like how, you know, even though Akane has been long gone, he has nothing else to, to live for, or at least he feels that he has nothing else to live for. And then the episode pivots to, uh, Hakai and what the hell's the other guy's name? Angry. Angry. <laughs> yeah. I just love there's like a really quick comic relief moment amidst all of the brutal drama that's going on and the brutal violence that's happening. Um, just seeing their lack of synergy in their fight against the Haitani brothers. I, I think we just needed that f- even for just a fleeting moment. In episode 9, The Blue Ogre, turns out Takemichi isn't the only crybaby on the show as Angry Bird trades his tears for his opponent's fears until Cockchoke Anime 1 ups him with his Lightning McQueen speed. Takemichi steps in against his childhood friend and makes a point once again that becoming a human punching bag is the best way to solve things until Kisaki brings a gun to literally shoot that shit down. So... Angry and what is it, smiley, happy, smiley, smiley. Their backstory is based on the Japanese tale of the red ogre and the blue ogre, which oh. we see from time to time in anime. There's a lot of other 
um character storylines where they're paired up with somebody else and like one of them's the red ogre and one of them's the blue ogre or their experiences mirror those experiences of the ogres in the story so that's pretty much what what this is um but what i love about angry is the lightning quick moves that he has after he snaps and how they animated them and like the the sound design that went into like every one of his punches it was just like boom like it just hits you and i love that because it it's meant to show you how like intense his punches are and how like op he is yeah it felt like angry was a bit of a deus ex machina yeah uh in how easy he was able to take down all of these high-ranking members of Tenjiku, but yeah, it was pretty badass scene seeing all of this. I, to, to kind of expand on that further, I just, by this point in the season, I was just like, I don't get the power scaling here. Like, basically what's happening is every next opponent is stronger than the last. So everyone is just constantly one-upping each other, and it's kind of getting exhausting because there's the same reaction for every new powerful enemy. E- mm-hmm. on either side right like first it was the big four and everyone's like oh my god these guys are the strongest ever we're never gonna defeat them and then they get defeated and then it's angry and they're like bro on the other side of the coin you know for the other team there's just this psycho kid and he's just like beating up the big four. Oh my god like he's the, the strongest and then kakucho shows up and then they're like oh my god like kakucho is stronger <laughs> than angry angry was like the strongest five seconds ago now it's this guy and then it's gonna be fucking um mikey mikey oh my god he's the strongest well, now, Mikey five trumps seconds later. everybody. Yeah, until Izana shows up. Then yeah. suddenly Izana is kicking his ass until he can talk him down, you know, from his like power trip. So it just it gets exhausting because every single new opponent, regardless of which side they're on, the reaction is so over the top and so overblown. Like there's no way that anyone could ever defeat them. There's no one stronger than this person. And then two seconds later, someone who is stronger beats the shit out of them. Usually with just like one punch and it's, it's very repetitive. It's very formulaic. So by episode nine and and not saying that all nine episodes were dedicated to, um, to like the, the incident, but with how many episodes there are dedicated to this brawl, I'm just like, oh my god, I can't see another stronger person. Like, I don't, I don't care. Just give me this, the strongest person. Give me the cream of the crop, the person sitting at the very top of this, like this, this strength contest. I just, just get me straight to that person, so I don't have to deal with this anymore. So that, that was uh, kind of annoying by, by episode nine. Well, on the flip side, you have Takemichi, like you said in the synopsis, being a human punching bag again. And thinking that's that's the way that this is all going to be resolved. Pretty sure this happened in season two and probably a lot of instances in season one as well. He's basically pulling a Gone Freaks from the Hunter exam arc. When Gone like refuses to yeah. give up. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's Takemichi's shtick, right, is that he never gives up, but it's always just resorted to him standing there and taking the punches, which in another sense, it this also becomes pretty repetitive. Like I know Takemichi is always about trying to change the future, but it feels like changing the future always defaults to him having to get his body bruised up, just being stubborn as fuck. Yeah. 
I mean, I guess if that's all you have going for you, why not tap into it? Um, but you know, speaking of Takemichi, you've got this theme of hero continuing, and it and it can it always continues throughout Tokyo Revengers. But here it comes up a lot throughout this brawl, and Kakucho says that Izana is his new hero now, um, even though like he's not necessarily like a good guy. Um, so it's just, it kind of I, I like that because it shows that the concept of hero is relative. It's not like it's not as black and white as we think it is. Like a hero is always a good guy, right? Like a hero just has some sort of impact on the person that's quote unquote worshiping that hero or looking up to that hero. And we'll learn later that for Kakucho, it's Izana because despite Izana being a fucking psycho, Izana gave him purpose when he lacked purpose. But then also, why the fuck does Kisaki have a gun? Why he's 13 years old. Where did he get a gun? Why does he have a gun? Take the gun away from Kisaki. What is happening? Like that was just wild when he pulled out a gun. Cause I, I like could totally see that happening, but also was like, nah, they wouldn't do that. But then they went and did it. Yeah. Plus, isn't it hard to get a gun in Japan? Yes. Oh, like, the, I was, I'm just like, like what the fuck? Well, I guess he just pulls out a gun. <laughs> like Kisaki has studied enough of the criminal underworld in Japan to know how to get a gun. But yeah, it just that just shows like Kisaki will stoop to the lowest in order to get what he wants. Whereas Takemichi will stand his ground and won't give up when it comes to protecting his ideals and his loved ones. Which is why he's a human punching bag. <laughs> in episode 10, Brave Heart Takemichi tells Kisaki that his little piece of metal ain't shit, but he really shot himself in the foot for that one. Right as Team Takemichi is about to have his back, Blue-Eyes White Gangster decides to throw his hat into the ring when Kappa Mikey, Doraken, and Love Hina arrive fashionably late from their grief counseling session, and Toman's top dog readies up against his half-sibling for a Brazza beater. I think one of the unanswered questions so far is why Kisaki keeps holding back for some reason when it comes to killing Takemichi. Like he he can't specifically do it. Um, or maybe he just misses his opportunities. But here, like he just is not able to do it. But he was totally fine killing Emma, totally fine killing Hina, right? The person that he was in love with. Kills Izana, I guess unintentionally kills Kakucho. Well, I guess he doesn't kill, kill Kakucho, but he tries to, right? Like he he doesn't really hold back with anyone else but Takemichi. And I don't know if that's just a convenient plot device um, or like a plot armor. It's convenient plot armor. Or if there's truly a reason because he keeps calling him hero. And like there's this tie between Kisaki and Takemichi. Um, you know what I mean? Like I just, I'm curious to know more about that. Why is it Takemichi is the one that Kisaki just cannot seem to kill? I think the hero thing might explain it as we get context for that later. But it makes me also think if Kisaki can also travel through time like Takemichi can, if he knows that killing Takemichi here is going to mess up the future timeline and not be in Kisaki's favor. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see if there <laughs> is an answer to this in the next arc. Well, you've also got like Takemichi trying to freak Kisaki out by dropping hints about like the time traveling. Um, and I know that 
at the end of this season, Kisaki says to Takemichi, no, I can't time travel. But I'm wondering if that's like one of two scenarios. One, Kisaki's just lying in that moment to benefit himself or to protect himself. Or two, actually three scenarios. Two, he actually can't time travel. Um, so he has no idea what the fuck Takemichi's talking about. Or three, he can time travel. But in that moment, he was just past ta- or past Kisaki, not future Kisaki. So past Kisaki is talking, thinking like, no, I can't time travel. Because we always hear from Hina that every time Takemichi time travels back to the future, his past self acts totally different. Acts immature, doesn't act like oh, what we're seeing for, right. for future Takemichi. Like it's a, like a light switch. Yeah, it's a, a switch flips and it's like a different personality for Takemichi. So I'm wondering, like it could be one of those three scenarios like again it's either kisaki actually can't time travel and he's like i can't i don't know what the fuck you're talking about he can time travel and he's straight up lying about it or he can time travel but in that moment he's past kisaki not future kisaki so he's like no i can't because he doesn't realize that he can so we'll see or maybe we won't because he's dead but yeah i just i thought about that in this moment because takemichi was trying to like feel out kisaki by saying all these little time travel hints then we get another instance of the Takamichi beatdown because Kurokawa steps in and says, "My turn, basically." It just makes me think: is all is this all the series has when it comes to you know Takamichi trying to solve problems? And I also like how, as he's getting beat up by Kurokawa, you have like these Dragon Ball Z reaction faces from all. every fucking character every time and that just tells you there's too many characters like just pick a couple of them you don't need to have a reaction face for every fucking character i'm like oh my god this is this is overload but then we got hina really quick we gotta talk about this hina told mikey and dragon and honestly this is why she's the best she knows how to make critical choices at critical moments that help Takemichi in the greater cause. And like, it is weird that they believed her so easily, unless they were like that desperate to save Emma. Um, But, you know, there was that one time, I think in season one, when they were at the hospital, when Mikey asked Takemichi why he seems to know so much and why something seems off about him. And Takemichi Mm -hmm. was like, oh, it's no reason. And Mikey was kind of like, hmm, seems sus. But then he kind of let it go. Yeah. I feel like maybe Mikey had an inkling all along, or maybe I think I, I threw out the idea that maybe even Mikey could time travel, or maybe I didn't. I can't remember. Probably. But yeah, maybe Mikey's also a time traveler. You'll have to travel to your past self to remember. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there there's some I guess open things there too, but yeah, Hina is the best. We also noticed that Mikey finally learned how to button up his jacket. Oh, I did not notice that. Yeah, because you know how he usually has it hanging off of his shoulders. Oh, when he gets the brawl, it's buttoned yeah. up. Okay. Yeah. When he when he arrives at the brawl, I, I just noticed that he finally buttoned up his jacket. I don't know if like to kind of serve as a visual foil to Kurokawa since he's wearing his red Tenjiku jacket. But I think it also kind of symbolized that you know Mikey has kind of moved on from his grief and has to confront Kurokawa for what he has done last thing i want to call out about this episode is i think kakucho says this in the beginning and it's exactly what's been on our minds as we talk about these street gangs these juvenile street gangs hey what are you doing this is just a kid's fight oh my god yeah what the fuck (laughs) (laughs) 
Even they're acknowledging it. In episode 11, Nothing is Left, the Brazza beater rages on as each sibling airs out their grievances about who gets to have Shin-chan on weekends and or weekdays when Kappa Mikey says that you're still my bro, bro, leaving Blue-Eyes White Gangster in an absolute state. He resorts to bringing a gun to a fist fight when Cock Choke Cock Blocks him and Kisaki Cock Glocks him. So Mikey talks down Izana enough to make him waver by like questioning why he had to kill Emma and why he couldn't just open up his heart to her and Mikey because they would have accepted him as family. And he ultimately says that he wants to save Izana, but Izana is just so bitter because of the way the world has treated him that he he just can't even accept that as a potential option or an option he missed out on. So this kid is like just he's he's hurting real bad. And I think this kind of sticks to Mikey's ideals when it comes to Toman, where he it's just a a gang of hoodlums who come from different walks of life different backstories and they can just be themselves and i think mikey was willing to do the same with kurokawa but like you said because of kurokawa's trauma about his mother leaving and then learning about you know he he's not the only one that can have shinichiro um it's it's that selfishness that causes kurokawa to not accept these ideals and become the person that he has been in this moment and i know there's a bunch of shit that goes down in this episode but the entire time i'm just screaming in my head someone take the damn gun away from kisaki i'm like why is no one trying to get this gun but here we are he has the gun he fires away and then um yeah then we get the result in the next episode in episode 12 paradise lost Kisaki tries to administer one more coup de gras at Cockchoke until Blue-Eyes White Gangster dramatically cock-glock blocks him. In his final breaths, he admits to Kappa Mikey that he's just some nobody from the Philippines, but officially comes Cockchoke's blood brother when their sanguine streams touch. Kisaki is finally brought forth to account for his crimes against Tomanity when Hanma comes to his loony lover's rescue. Takamichi and Doraken give chase, where the crybaby hero finally faces his four-eyed foe to unleash a hellstorm of past, present, and future emotional baggage. I know, like, Kisaki's very complex, and we learn a lot more about his motives, but I've always found him to be a great villain, because up until these last few episodes, we know so little about him and those motives, yet he's such a powerful influence. He's able to manipulate everybody. And again, even though we're, we we do eventually find out, by this point, we're almost to the end of the season, and we still don't know his true motive, or why he calls Takamichi his hero, or if he can time travel. Yet he has done all of this shit, and we know he is, in, at least like mentally, he is a very formidable foe. So I still think that Kisaki's a really interesting villain because I'm like, this kid is wild. Yeah, and he always riles up this emotion in me of this bitch needs to fucking die <laughs> And I was so ready for it at the end of this episode once everyone has witnessed the crime that Kisaki has done. But then Hanma comes in. And I always wonder, like, why is Hanma still here? Yeah, I think he just likes fucking shit up. I think he likes just being the devil on your shoulder kind of thing. Like, just 
he enjoys watching things divulge into madness. Yeah. And yeah, I get like he was the convenient way for Kisaki to escape this moment. But man, I don't know. Like, I, I also hate Hanma. Again, why, why are you still around? Um, we get that reveal about Izana being half Filipino, and that's why he's dark skinned. Yeah, that's another tie into the Philippines. Yeah, because the other one was Mikey going to the Philippines because that's where like Shinichiro got his bikes from or something. Yeah, to get bike parts for whatever bike Shinichiro was working on. Unless that was like a front, and he actually was in the Philippines for something related to Izana. Like finding his family. Kurokawa's, maybe? Yeah, because. It's the son of his stepmother's ex-husband. Or Kurokawa is the son of his stepmother's ex-husband and his Filipino wife. Ex-wife. Ex-wife. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe there was more to that. Um, But yeah, Filipino pride. Woo. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're, we're tied to a guy who orchestrated to kill his sister. Oh, woo. We also learn about where the the name of the gang Tenjiku comes from, because I guess it's based on the story Journey to the West. I don't know if you ever read that. It's like an ancient Chinese story, I believe. Um, I'm familiar with the title. I just don't remember if I've read it. Yeah, one of China's classic novels. Uh, Tenjiku is the Japanese terminology for Tianju, uh, which is referenced in journey to the west and i think kurakawa mentions in this episode that that's what the inspiration was to build his kingdom or in in this case build up his gang and in the final episode episode 13 meet his fate with just one episode left to explain himself kisaki confesses that no he's not a time traveler or so it seems and yes all of this was to impress love hina but Takemichi kept cock block glock locking him every single time. Kisaki nearly flees once again until Truck-kun gets the best of him, and so Kamisama bless us everyone. Except Takemichi, whose hands now have a severe case of the trembling, trembling, it's coming, trembling, trembling. Beware. So I fucking called it. I called it. I called it a long time ago. It's about Kisaki. Congratulations. And yep. There you go. <laughs> if I can't have her, no one can type of mentality. Um, but again, oh my God, someone take the gun away from Kisaki. This motherfucker still has the gun. And what pisses me off about it is in the previous episodes, he kills two people seemingly in front of 200 plus gang members and no one thinks to subdue him or at least take away the damn gun. Someone does swat it away, but it's still clearly within his reach because he grabs it again. I'm like, these dumbass kids, you're, you're just so dumb. <laughs> take the gun away, dude. I wonder how many bullets were left in the gun. Like if yeah, that's a good he could point. Even, if, it, if he fired it, if anything would even come out. Yeah. But, yeah, convenient plot device, I guess. Um, we also learned that Kakucho lived. 
but Kisaki did die. According to Takemichi, Kisaki did die, but that doesn't mean a lot because Takemichi is trying to change the future so that everyone lives, so who knows how that'll pan out. But you've got Takemichi still trembling since his death. But holy shit, the fucking truck coon, like that, okay, that was probably one of the biggest, like, what the fuck moments. More more what the fuck than, like, Kisaki having that gun from the earlier episode. Because I was not expecting Truckcoon to make an, make an appearance. Yeah, I don't know if that was like tongue-in-cheek by Wakui for him to to kill Kisaki off like that because it's such a trope. I know it's like a trope in Isekai. You know what it reminds me of, without spoilers, is a certain key death in um, part four of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> um, but it's interesting because... I think right before he gets hit by the truck here, Isaki says something like, uh, return to the future. He's talking to Takemichi, like, return to the future. Do you think I'm a time traveler? And then he says something like, I, and then gets cut off. Yeah. So, again, that leaves it ambiguous still as to whether Kisaki too, has clairvoyance of these events. And, I mean, it eliminates the need for Takemichi to have to kill Kisaki to see what how that could impact the future. So, like, Takemichi doesn't have to get his hands dirty necessarily, but he still gets that major change, that, that like, butterfly effect. And so now we'll see, hopefully in the next season, how that impacts the future and if that actually does solve some of the problems. Although now Takemichi has the larger problem of finding a way to save everybody. Well, one thing I wanted to ask you is if this is a hint of whether or not Kisaki has an ability, is those visions that Takemichi gets when he touches Kisaki. Yeah, that right? is weird because why would that happen? It's it hasn't happened with anybody else. Um but it's also weird that like Naoto is the the catalyst for Takemichi's time travel. I know they kinda explained it maybe, I don't know. But I don't, I don't remember. I feel like if because Naoto touching Takemichi has some sort of time travel effect, there must be something that Kisaki can do in terms of time traveling where he like because the two of them have time travel abilities of some sort or some impact of time travel when they touch then it like shocks them but also he was punching kisaki a million times and didn't see a bunch of flashbacks okay wait what if what if kisaki can't time travel he can just see the future because hmm. what if he's saying i can't time travel to the future but i can see the future that's my theory. Okay, new theory now that I was correct about the Kisaki Hina <laughs> thing. I've got a new theory. Kisaki can see the future. He just can't travel. There's so many unknowns still floating around. This is like Attack on Titan all over. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the the ending where Takemichi just looks at his trembling hands, it made me think like, but wait, there's more? Because it felt, it felt so abrupt. And... Like, I don't know if you have the same feelings where you, I just felt like everything here ended on a perfect note. And this is probably where the series could have ended and I would have been fine with that. But I guess the 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 perfection of this can also come off as a little bit uneasy. Like everything was so clean for Takamichi to bring this to an end that it makes you wonder is everything ending cleanly or is there more to it? But I think it, the ending was just so abrupt that it, it took me a while to process it before like I could 
somewhat accept it. Yeah, I kind of, this may sound weird, but I kind of like that there's a little bit more because I feel like that would have been a really rushed ending, like super rushed. Um, I feel like there's there's a little bit more to the story. Is it enough to, to fill a whole season? I don't know. Maybe half a season, but I guess we'll see how it plays out. I just don't want filler. Yeah, and yeah, I think back to the manga readers who were saying Tokyo Revengers has fallen off. But, you know, it could be a case like with Attack on Titan where manga readers were kind of saying the same thing about that show's ending or that series is ending, but then the anime adaptation kind of fixes it and cleans it up in the way, in a way. So hopefully that's the same case with Tokyo Revengers, but that remains to be seen. Really quick, I know that earlier I said that we still don't know why Takamichi is um kisaki's hero yes we do i i realized that was dumb because they explain it in the end here all right he wanted to be like takamichi yeah he wanted to be like takamichi so that he could win hina's heart or win her affection again showing that the idea of a hero is relative to the person who i guess is like is like filling that role not filling that role but like you know identifying somebody as their hero because for kisaki it's not about somebody who like did anything for them it's just he's aspiring to be like this person to have what they have versus Kakucho where again like Izana gave him purpose and that's why he's a hero because he he saved him from offing himself with like you know per his backstory so I again I like that the idea of a, of a hero is not black and white it looks different for everybody and their definition of a hero can be very very different and that brings us to our final thoughts for Tokyo Revengers season three Tenjiku arc so how many Revengers and games out of 10 would you give this season? I would give it an 8.5 out of 10. I did not think I'd like this beyond or feel like it was going to be a 7 point beyond a 7.5 or 8 out of 10. But after watching the whole thing, I'm like, yeah, this is solidly an 8.5 out of 10. Again, I really had to suspend my disbelief with some of the parts. Um, but besides that, the plot twists and the reveals and the, the cliffhangers were all great. There was not a single part of the story, like one of those elements that made me feel like, ooh, this is this is reaching, or ooh, this is trying too hard, or ooh, that one didn't hit quite right. I thought all of them, again, plot twist reveals and, and cliffhangers were all fantastic. Um, and they kept me really invested in the show um, throughout the season. They kept me really wanting more. And we're left with plenty of answers to our questions where we feel satisfied by the end of the season, but still a lot of open questions to be answered that keep that motivation and keep that intrigue for what's to come with whatever next season we're going to get and beyond. And as I mentioned earlier, I really appreciate and, and am pleasantly surprised by a lot of these different threads in the story coming together things that seemed on you know completely unrelated or completely unimportant um showing their importance later on and then all coming coming together in a pretty cohesive way that was a, a nice like cherry on top i think among everything else so tokyo Avengers is that weird show where i feel like it's not i, I go into it thinking like this is not gonna be super amazing like it'll be good but not, like nothing crazy good and then I'm always like very pleasantly surprised by the end of each season. Like, wow, that was actually better than I expected. So um, I hope that continues. I hope that the end of the show is it's it sticks the landing. That's you know we'll see when we get there. Um, still no confirmation on 
the next season, but I mean, we're going to get something at some point, obviously. Um, so yeah, I think it was all around really good. What about you? I would give this season a nine out of 10. The Tenjuku arc of Tokyo Revengers was more engrossing and enthralling than I had expected as it continued to touch upon the series' themes of brotherhood, of sacrifice, of tenacity, of going the distance for the ones that you love, but then escalating it to a level where it feels like Takemichi is reaching the the culmination of his strenuous goal to save Hina and the rest of his Toman brethren from a morbid fate. Even if the Kanto incident itself felt bogged down by one or two or three or four too many flashbacks. Each storyline was engaging enough to give life and meaning to characters on both sides of the conflict while reminding us of how far both Takemichi and Toman have come to rage against Kisaki and the future that tries to seal their fate. I think this series could have concluded at this point on such a high note of tying up many loose ends and giving Takemichi his sense of closure, because every single moment, every single timeline, every single teardrop streaming down his face has led to this seemingly favorable outcome, but then something lurks deep in the shadows that still has an air of unease, which kind of gives me both a sense of unease and uneasiness, because it makes me wonder, like, what more do we have to see from Takemichi's story if unraveling Kisaki's plans was not the end game all along? Will the next and hopefully last leg of his journey be all the more worthwhile, even though manga readers have not indicated as such? But it does leave an interesting path to follow, as now we'll have to see the implications of Takemichi's inner circle now being aware of his time-traveling abilities, and also the fact that he can no longer travel to the future if Naoto, and I guess, and if Takemichi himself are still technically deceased. So with all of this in mind, I'm still very eager to see where Takemichi's revenging roadshow really ends, and if all the time taken traveling to and from the past, present, and future was indeed time well spent. I know I mentioned it already, but yeah, I'm not seeing anything about the next season, Um, so we'll wait to, to hear if that is confirmed. But, of course, you guys can expect a review from us on the next season whenever it is here. If it is here, fingers crossed, we get more. And thank you guys, as always, for listening. Let us know your thoughts on Tokyo Avengers and whether you think it's fallen off or if you think it's still going strong. Subscribe to Strictly Anime on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash thestrictlyseries. Be sure to check out our other podcast, Strictly Jojo. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb.